0: Good morning. Good morning, everyone. If you would take your songbook, please stand with me to hymn 502. Hymn number 502. Let's all stand and sing Stand Up for Jesus. Hymn number
1: 502.
0: Verse
2: 1. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, he soldiers of the cross. This high is royal banner, it must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, his army shall he lead, till every foe is vanquished, and Christ is Lord. Stand up stand up for Jesus, the trumpet call obey. For to the mighty conflict in this his glorious day, ye that Verse 3, stand up, stand up for Jesus, stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you, ye dare not trust. And us and up for Jesus, the strife will not be long. This day, the noise of battle, the next victor's song to him that overcometh, the crown of life shall be. He with the king of glory. Rain
3: eternally. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to church today. So glad to have all of you here. Looking forward to a great time in the house of the Lord. And it's good to have uh, some of our college kids back. Can you turn me down just a hair, Brother Joe? A little, little loud up here. Very good. Uh, let's see. Lizette Selina is a you back here. She's already up in the choir loft. Good to have her here. And let's see, Autumn. Are you back here as well? Now, Autumn is um, Autumn is married now, and Autumn is expecting, and Autumn is expecting a baby girl. So, congratulations to you and Kyle. Pray for Kyle. She's going to be here for two months, and uh, Kyle is going to be working a lot of hours and uh, feeling very lonely. Everybody say, Oh. So, Kyle, if you're watching, we love you, we're praying for you, and um, uh, hopefully uh, Autumn makes it back to you in one piece. We'll take good care of her. So, uh, But thankful that all of you are here today, looking forward to, uh, as uh, we conclude Family Month today, uh, going over the home. We've got a, an exciting message planned for you there, and looking forward to what God's going to do uh, in our midst. All right, let's uh, turn around, greet one another, encourage somebody around you. We'll come back and sing that uh, first verse in just a moment. that first verse together. Words will be on the screen. Sing it out with me. Here we go. Stand up, stand up for Jesus Ye soldiers
1: of the cross Lift high His royal
3: banner It must not suffer loss. Sing it out now. From victory unto victory His army shall He lead
1: Till Christ is Lord
3: indeed. Let's open the service with a word of prayer this morning and ask God to meet with us in a very special way. Pastor Mike, please come open us in prayer. Our Lord, thank you so much for the
0: day you've given to us. And thank you for the air that we very breathe even right now. Lord, I pray that you bless our service. Thank you for this place of worship. Challenge us, please, Lord, through thy word. And uh, make our hearts tender by singing. We ask for a good day today in your house. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Hymn 400. Hymn 400. We'll sing like a river glorious. Hymn 400.
2: Like a river. Is God's perfect peace. promise perfect peace and rest. Number two. It is Tempo
3: Uh, Men, let's have you go ahead and come on down. We want to welcome our visitors that are here today, and I want to say a a big thank you to you for taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, consider us and be part of our service today. So if you're visiting, we have a gift for you that we'd like to give you, as well as a connection card so we can connect with you uh, at a further time. So if you're visiting, if you wouldn't mind, just hold up your hand, Brother Mike, right down here in the front. We have a a young man uh, right down here, Uh, and we also have a family here visiting. Cheryl, do you want to introduce your guests? Very good. Thank you for coming, being here today. We appreciate that. Angela, do you want to introduce your guest? All right, Banny, Good to have you back after ten years. It's very good. And then, um, uh, let's see. Anyone else visiting with us today? If you are, just let me let me uh, notify that by an uplifted hand. Okay, wanted to make everyone aware of something and ask you to pray. Uh, Elena, good to see you in the service this morning. Elena's uh, father passed away here recently, and so if you could be in prayer for her and the family as they are. Uh, She is grieving the loss of her father. Angel's grieving the loss of his father-in-law. He was sick for a long time, uh, struggled with health, had a great spirit through it. Uh, But let's be in prayer for Elena and angel and the family uh, during during this time. On another note here, um, today is the day we're collecting the items to give to the Hope Line in Bridgeport to support uh, women uh, in a crisis pregnancy. And so if you forgot all about that, I have good news for you. You can run to the store this afternoon and pick up a bunch of items and drop them off this evening. Uh, Sometime early this week, we will be taking those over to Hope Line and so uh, please, please, please uh, participate in that. Get involved. And uh, if you are tardy in bringing those things in, your pastor is too. So don't feel bad. This afternoon I'm going to be making a trip to the store and uh, coming in this evening with a bunch of bags full of stuff. So uh, do that this afternoon and let's, uh, let's support uh, this uh, great organization that tries to convince mothers to choose life. Amen? And keep that in mind. Many other announcements in your bulletin. Uh, Make sure you look at those, follow those, and then uh, pay attention to the announcements on the screen during the offertory there. At this time, we'll have our choir come and sing for us a special place.
0: Stand with me, Hymn 401, in your songbook. Hymn 401, we'll all stand and sing, Let the Lower Lights Be Burning. Hymn 401.
2: First one. Brightly beams our Father's mercy From His lighthouse evermore But to us He gives the keeping Of the lights along the shore. Let the lower lights be burning. Send a gleam across the wave. Some poor fainting struggling seaman. You may rescue, you may save. Verse two. Dark the night of sin hath settled. Loud the angry billows roar. Eager eyes are watching, longing for the lights along the shore. Let the lower lights be burning, send a gleam across the wave. Some poor, fainting, struggling seaman, you may rescue, you may save. On the third, trim your feet, only of my brother, some poor sailor, tempest tossed, trying now to make the harbor. In the darkness, may be lost. Let the lower lights be burning. Send a gleam across the wave. Some poor fainting, struggling seaman, you may
3: rescue. You may save. Please be seated. Ushers, you can begin making your way forward. In a few moments, we'll collect our tithes, offerings, and faith promise giving. To our guests today that received a connection card, if you would please drop that in the offering plate in just a moment when it passes by. Uh, While the men are finding their places, just a reminder, we want to uh, put a spotlight on our discipleship classes. Each Sunday morning at 945, we have an array of classes that meet that will uh, uh, help guide you through the different various journeys that you're in. We have classes for those uh, who are trying to raise teenagers and small children and classes for single ladies, general adult Bible studies. The one we want to highlight today is the college and career class. Brother Mike Var is standing right over here. Raise your hand there, Brother Mike, and his sweet wife, Diane. Miss Diane, if you'd raise your hand. They teach our college and career class. And so if you're looking, uh, if you're single and you are uh, 18 out of high school on up, we would love to encourage you to be part of their class. They teach relevant uh, Bible studies to where you are, as well as have monthly activities. Uh, We shouldn't come to church necessarily just to get married, but listen, nothing wrong with going to that class and finding a cute little girl or a good-looking guy, if there is such a thing as a good-looking guy. Amen. So uh, get involved and learn the Bible and uh, fellowship with other folks. Amen. Brother Vara told me earlier this week, he said, you keep marrying all the people in my class and you're going to take my class from me. I said, Brother Vara, that is the goal. So, uh, but uh, let's, uh, let's, uh, let's be in our place during the Sunday school hour at 945 and let's grow that way. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll collect the offering this morning. Brother Mike Srett, if you would lead us in prayer. talking to my son at the gas station, and we were listening to a song with a similar theme uh, as we pulled up the gas station, and he said, Dad, are we going to get to see Satan bow the knee in front of God? And I said, yes, and I hope God allows some smack talking, because there's going to be a lot of it going on can't wait for that day. The Satan, the tempter, the one who has messed up this world and made our lives miserable. The man who is responsible, the angel is responsible for cancer and death and pain and hurt. For divorce. For hospitals. For all of the hurt in our lives and hearts. God is going to thoroughly and adequately punish him for what he's done to us in this world. It's going to be a great day. Amen. Take your Bibles over to 2 Samuel chapter 22. 2 Samuel 22. While you're finding your way there, um, while you're finding your way there, I wanted to just um, emphasize a couple of things coming up. Ladies, your big big banquet is uh, this coming Saturday. Let me really encourage you to wipe your schedule clean and be here. Um, To tell you that our three pastor's wives have put a lot of time in this is a grave understatement. We're talking well over three or four hundred hours of work have gone into what's going to take place this Saturday. This is going to be the biggest event as far as a preparation standpoint goes that this church has put on in a long, long time. We had a men's stakeout yesterday at a great time of that. It took us about forty five minutes to organize it. It took about three hours to pick up the food. There were no decorations, there was a lot of beef, and it was glorious. Amen, Amen guys? Amen. You ladies don't want plain tables, you want tablecloths and decorations and photo booths, and if I say anything else, I'm going to give, all, give it away, but ladies, you need to come. You need to come, uh, there's a lot going to be planned. Uh, some of you have said, well, I I don't have a fancy medieval princess dress to wear, and I. Listen, I've been told to tell you, come anyway. Just put your Sunday best on and show up. You will really be glad you did. Uh, let's see. who is Who are the ones receiving the, the payment and doing the sign-up at the end of the service? Is that you, Elsa? Is there another one? Just today, it's you. Elsa, it, it, could you raise your hand again? Elsa will be in the lobby with the clipboard. Ladies, you can pay her. It's $10 for adults, $5 for children. If you're not sure which one your daughter qualifies as, then uh, you can ask her. She'll tell you. But uh, you need to pay when you sign up, and if you're not ready to do that this morning, uh, do that this evening. But please, 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 ladies, be there and be a part of that. And then, uh, listen, this evening we've got a lot going on. This evening I'm going to preach a sermon that I want all of you to hear. I want you to hear all of them, but tonight's is extra important to me that you show up to hear. Uh, And then the teenagers are going to Paradise Ice Cream following the service and so if you've got uh, uh, kids in our youth group, 7th through 12th grade, have them here so they can do that, and uh, you'll be glad you did. And um, I'm going to ask you to help me with the Sunday evening service. I'll give those instructions toward the end of the service today. So make, uh, make place, be a part, and uh, you'll be glad you did. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word this morning, Second Samuel chapter 22, and we're going to re- look at verses 1 through 4. We will read them responsibly. We'll read the even verses out loud Collectively. I'll begin in verse one. The Bible says, And David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. Together, verse two. And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my rock, in him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower. And my refuge, my Savior, thou uh, savest me from violence. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. I want to preach a sermon this morning entitled this, Your Home, a Refuge or a Battlefield. A Refuge or a Battlefield. Let's pray. Lord, I ask this morning that you would give me your wisdom. And Lord, your knowledge on how to preach this sermon. And Lord, would you help us to have homes that are a resting place. A refuge from the storm and sin of the world. May our home not be a battlefield, but may it be a refuge. And Lord, where we get that out of balance, I pray this sermon in some senses would be a reset button. Lord, help us today in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. In the Old Testament, God had a provision for manslaughter. And it was different than ours. If you commit manslaughter, and those of you that don't know what manslaughter is, an accidental murder or a murder by careless means, uh, um, you're texting while you're driving and someone's crossing the road and you strike them. You did not kill them with evil or ill intent. Uh, but you, you nonetheless killed them because of your negligence. That is, that is manslaughter. Okay? In the Bible, if you killed someone via manslaughter, the process was uh, that you had to run to a city of refuge. Now, there were six of them scattered throughout Israel and Judah. And if you could get there before the loved one of the person you had killed, then you were safe. If they caught up to you, and they killed you before you got to that city. Then the, 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 the vengeance of blood was justified and everything was good. So let's say you're out in the field and you're swinging an axe and the axe head comes flying off and it strikes someone in the head and it kills them. You clearly didn't kill them with any intent. But nonetheless, they're dead because of maybe your negligence. You didn't make sure the head of the axe was on tight enough. You've got uh, you've got to hurry up and run to the nearest city of refuge. and If you get inside the wall of that city, you are you have found asylum. You are safe. However, if the relative or loved one of that person catches up to you before you get there and they kill you, then tough luck for you. Tough luck for you. That was the system God had in place. Um. City of refuge. The city of refuge in the Bible is a picture of salvation we find in Christ. You make it to the city of refuge or the cross or salvation before you die, then you get to go to heaven. If you don't, Satan's going to take you to hell, sin will take you to hell. And so put your faith and trust in the cross. Run to the city of refuge, run to Jesus. Um, you don't get to the city of refuge by your good works because uh, if you were guilty of manslaughter, it didn't matter how much good you had done for that person, it just mattered that they were dead and you had killed them, even if it was an accident. God does not care about how much, quote unquote, good you've done with your life. You have sinned and you have broken God's law. You've broken God's law. And unless you run to the city of refuge of the cross and you die outside of the cross without having put your faith in the cross, then you're going to spend eternity in hell. Now, I want you to think about that refuge, that city of refuge. You would have to spend the rest of your life in there, but you would live there with a the peace of knowing that you're safe, that you're safe over and over again. God is described as a refuge to us as Christians. God is described as a refuge to us as Christians. Um, how many of you here right now are going through some sort of, of storm in your life? Can I see your hand? You're going through some sort of storm in your life. You know who your refuge is? It's God. you got to turn to Him. you got to run to Him. Um, We get outside of the umbrella of God, and we experience the rain of sin, and it hurts. Now, how about your home? Again, this is family month, extended out a week. April was family month. Um, We're going to extend it into today. Um, How about your home? You come home after a long day of work. Do you step in the door and find it to be... I can rest. Or is going home a task and a chore that you hate? Now, for those of you with little ones, some of you heard my story about punishing Matthew last week, correcting Matthew. Our home felt more like a battlefield that day than a refuge. You have little ones, sometimes it's going to feel that way. But long term, the goal is to create a refuge at home. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time I know when I walk in the front door of my house, my children are going to be jumping in my arms. And my wife is going to greet me with a kiss. You know what I you know what I do at the end of a long day of helping people carry their burdens? I go home to my refuge. I had a woman sit in my office some years ago and she said, Pastor, she's a single mom. She said, I love my children. Love them. She worked for Southwest Airlines in Baltimore. She said, I love my kids, but I dread when 5 o'clock comes around. Because then I have to punch out and go home. And it's World War III every time I go home. I can't stand it. Some of you here, the reason why you work overtime is so you can avoid your wife. Or you can avoid your husband. You're running from your problems. Your home is not a refuge. Your home is not a place of of peace. You don't find that God's peace reigns in your home instead of Satan's strife rules your home. And it ought to be that angry words are not shouted in your home. Words of affirmation and love are shared at home. There's a story about a woman who was running home from work and she knew she had to get dinner on the table and she knew what she wanted to cook and she knew she didn't have quite all the ingredients. So she made a stop at the grocery store on the way home and she hopped out of her car. It was raining outside and running through the raindrops into the store as she's going into the door. A gentleman with a bag of groceries was coming out of the door and in her haste, she bumped into the man and knocked his groceries all over the place. She didn't know the man, but She profusely apologized and she stopped and picked up all of the items and helped him put them in the bag and apologized again and off he went and she went into the store and hurriedly got her items, checked out, hopped in her car, raced home. In the kitchen she began to prepare dinner, exhausted from a long day, having put in a full day's worth of work, and her little four-year-old boy came into the kitchen and was trying to talk to his mother and uh, uh, she turned to take hot noodles off the stove and dump them through the strainer in the sink. And with this big kettle of hot noodles, she turns and her little four-year-old boy is right under her feet. She just about tripped over him and she yells at her son, what are you doing in the kitchen? Can't you see I'm trying to make dinner? Get lost! And sends the son out of the room and, and hastily prepares dinner and puts it on the table. Well, that night as she had pillowed her head and begins to think back through the day's events. She remembers the man she ran into in the store and how kind she was to a complete stranger, but yet how harsh and mean and rude she was to her own son. She gets up. It's now 11 o'clock at night. She gets up and goes in her son's bedroom and kneels down next to him and begins to rub her fingers through his hair while he quietly and gently sleeps. The little boy is awoken after a moment of that and Looks at his mom and reaches up and puts her hands on his hands on her face and says, Mommy, I love you. He, she says, Honey, I love you too. What was it you were trying to tell me earlier today? The little boy said, I made a craft for you at school. I was trying to give it to you to tell you how much I love you. The mother sat there with tears in her eyes and she realized I'm so much kinder to complete strangers than I am home family. Isn't that true though? We treat the people that we're supposed to love the most the worst. They see the worst of us. The Bible says that we're to be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. The Bible says that the fruits of the Spirit are gentleness and goodness and temperance, not yelling and screaming, and bullying, and belittling. Now, I don't have your homes bugged. I'm not there at night time. But sir, you have no right to yell at your wife and kids. Ma'am, you have no right to rip your husband to shreds when he comes in the door because he isn't who you want him to be. Because he left the toilet seat up or left his socks on the floor. Whatever the reason is. And if we're honest this morning, we fight over things that are very junior highish. If I asked you if you yelled at your spouse last month and you were to say, yes, I did. Would you even remember what it was over? You let your kid have it last month. Do you remember what it was about? You look back and go, that was that was silly. That was dumb. We get so worked up over nothing. And this morning, I want to say to you that your home is to be a refuge. A refuge. Many men have had an affair on their wife because the environment in their home is toxic. Instead of going home to a sweet, loving wife, they go home to a wife who's nagging and mean and nasty. Now it's wrong to have an affair, regardless of how your wife treats you. It's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. But don't don't aid and abet the process. Many women were running around on their husbands. And in 2018, women are just as guilty of it as men are. The truth is that the husband is not very kind to the wife. Explosive anger. Screaming and yelling. Your wife has no heart connection with you because she's afraid to open her heart to you because you just blow up on her all the time. You think when you're yelling at your wife that you're winning, but the truth is that you're both losing because you two are supposed to be one. By tearing her down, you're tearing yourself down. Now, what does that do for our children? Your children grow up listening to you yell at each other. Your children grow up uh, you yelling at them. You know what they're going to seek out in their marriages? Someone who yells. And the cycle repeats itself. It's nice to think that that you would grow up in a home where things are nasty and you say, I'm not going to want that for myself. I'm going to want something better for myself. And occasionally there are children that do that. But most children choose not what's best. They choose what they're familiar with. If dad was unfaithful to mom, then oftentimes a young lady will marry a man who will be unfaithful to them. If dad yelled at mom, then a young lady will marry someone who yells at them because they don't think that they're worthy of better. And if you're a young person here growing up in a toxic home, let me say this to you. God has saved you. Then you are worthy. You are valuable. You grow up and you, you marry someone who's going to treat you the way Christ treats his church. Men, you grow up and you marry a young lady who's going to respect you and love you and have integrity toward you. I believe that many husbands and wives and children have lost perspective on what the home is supposed to accomplish. The home should be an enjoyable place to be. The home should be a place that is desired by all family time should reinforce positive traits of affection, openness, protection, and foresight. Let me give you that list again. Affection, openness, Protection and foresight, positive traits of affection, openness, protection and foresight. Uh, to, let's jump in this morning and observe six traits about God, our refuge that we can apply to our homes. Brother Joe, if you could give me a little more on here, and a little less on here, that would be great. Number one there, let's notice a place of safety, a place of safety. Now, we talked about the city of refuge. Bump me down just a hair there. The city of refuge, it provided safety and protection from those who sought revenge. Right? You ran to the city of refuge because someone was chasing you and wanted to kill you. And by the way, if you are a warrior and you like warrior type barbarian stories, there are some stories in there about folks chasing someone down on their way to the city of refuge and avenging the blood of their loved ones. So if you like warrior type stories, man, the Bible is filled with them. There's even a story about one man who coerced another man out of the city of refuge and then Killed him because he came outside of those walls of safety. And the place of refuge is to be a place of safety. Let me say this morning that the devil is still seeking revenge on God. The devil is waging all-out war on God. He hates God. Oh, he hates God. He wants to ruin God. He wants to tear down everything that, uh, that that creates God or that God is about. Everything that God has created. He wants to pull down God's reputation. He wants to pull down the morality that God uh, is all about. And so, how does he do that? He does that by attacking. His Christians, he cannot get directly to God because God is bigger and stronger than him and and, and more powerful than him. And so he goes after God's creation. He goes after Christians. If you're here today and you've put your faith and trust in Jesus and he is your refuge for your salvation, I promise you, promise you, promise you, you have a target on your back and he's trying to take you out. And so what does God's refuge provide? It provides a place of safety. You know that when the world is hurling everything it has at you, you can run to God and you can plant your feet on the rock of God and he'll take care of you. Look at that verse number three of second Samuel 22. It says there the God of my rock, the God of my rock in him will I trust, he is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge My Savior, look at the last uh, several words there. Thou savest me from violence. Thou savest me from violence. What is our home supposed to be? It is to be a place of safety. Your children ought to feel safe inside the walls of your home. Moms and dads, those of you with small children, let me encourage you to be very careful what you put on that TV screen. I remember as a boy, I got out of bed to get a drink of water. I was probably eight or nine years old. And I uh, peeked around the corner to see what my dad was watching on TV. He had no idea. My dad's the type of guy, at least he was when I was a boy, that he'd see something on TV. He didn't know what it was. He'd watch it or there was a curse word and he'd change the channel. Or until something terrible happened, he'd change the channel. And then he wouldn't watch it again. And um, I'm standing there, and he's got, I think, the sci-fi channel on. And there is a clown that reaches up through a sewer hole. Grabs this little boy by the foot. Some of you have seen the movie, haven't you? Shame on you. And that little boy is pulled through the sewer hole. I've probably, I probably exaggerated the events in my mind, and, so, and I haven't seen it since. The little boy is screaming. Well, I got out of bed a few minutes later, and I walked back in, and the, the, the mother of the child, I guess, is opening up a book of pictures, and blood starts pouring out of the book. Again, it, maybe that's not what happened. That's what my mind remembers. You know, I had nightmares for weeks. A little boy. Nightmares. That wasn't safe for me. Now I'm not throwing my dad, well, maybe I am throwing my dad under the bus a little bit. My dad didn't know I was watching that. He would have never watched that in front of me. Um, you need to provide a place of safety for your kids. Listen, sin wants to destroy. Your home should be a place where sin is not present. Sin is not present on the TV screen. Sin is not present in your mouth. Sin is not present in your actions. It is a place of safety. Number two, uh, it is a place of salvation. God as our refuge, the city of refuge, is a place of salvation. Look at verse 3 of Second Samuel 22. The Bible says, The God of my rock, in him will I trust. Look here. He is my shield and the horn, the horn of my salvation. My high tower, my refuge, my savior, thou savest me from violence. The horn of my salvation. There's a story about a young man who was a, pro, a modern-day prodigal. He was raised in a home where his parents treated him right, took him to church, tried their best to model Christianity in front of them. The young man, as a young adult, decided he was going to go sow his wild oats and do his own thing. He, uh, he lived a very rebellious lifestyle while living at home. One day his mom and dad came to him and said, if you're going to continue to choose to live this way, you cannot live in our house. They kicked him out. Many years went by this was before modern technology many years went by and this young man made a mess of his life was arrested several times and uh, uh, on uh, misdemeanor type charges and Uh, uh, Just uh, uh, was a womanizer and a drunk and uh, a rebel rouser and just did a lot of things that were very, very wrong. And word got back to his parents and they became very ashamed of their son and wanted little to do with their son and and basically disowned their son over what had happened. And so the son uh, uh, felt a need to come home to mom and dad. And so he wrote a letter to his parents and he said, I'm going to be taking a train home and I know the train tracks pass right by your backyard. If you want me home, if you would just tie a large white towel to the tree limb in the backyard. And if I see the tree limb on the trees, I come by. I'll know that means that you want me home. If there's no uh, towel there, then I'll assume that you don't want me to come home. And I'll I'll, I'll stay away from you. I know I've embarrassed you. I know I've made a mess of my life. I know that you are ashamed of, of the decisions that I've made. And so if you don't want me home, I understand. That young man climbed aboard that train and took several-day ride across the country. And the moment came where he was approaching his backyard. And with great angst, he sat by the window with great fear in his heart of wondering whether that towel was going to be there. And as that young man approached his backyard, every tree branch in that yard had hundreds of towels attached to it. Mom and dad were saying, come home, come home, come home. This is a place where your life can be salvaged. A place of salvation. Mom and dad, are you putting a place, a culture in place where your children will want to be saved? Will want to be saved. Have your children gotten saved? The more you take them to church, the more you teach them right from wrong, the more authentic your Christianity is, the more they're going to want it. Those of you that started coming to church and your children were already eight, nine, ten years old and up, if your Christianity begins and ends at the front door of the church, your children aren't going to want what you have. Your Christianity has got to extend past the church house. You come to church and you dress the part, you look the part, but you go home and you watch filth on TV and they hear you cuss, they see you drink, they see you live a riotous lifestyle. Very good chance your children will never get saved. On a practical point here, let me say to you, those of you here that want your children to get saved, be careful about that. Not be careful about wanting them to get saved, but be careful about how you go about it. I, uh, as someone who's gone to church from, from, the, the, gra- from the cradle and will go to church all the way through the grave, I've had the opportunity to watch parents how they handle their kids with the gospel. If you work with our children's ministry here, Please listen carefully to what I'm about to say. My preference, my strong preference for our children's workers, and my encouragement, my strong encouragement to you as parents, is do not lead your child in a phrase-by-phrase prayer for the salvation, especially if they're 4, 5, and 6 years old. I can't tell you how many children go to a teen camp at 13, 14, 15 years old and say, I was told I got saved, but I don't know if I actually got saved. By the way, at 12, I had a reassurance of my salvation at 12 years old. I can remember sitting in church on a sunny night in the same church I was saved in and and thinking to myself, what if I didn't understand what I did? And I remember going forward that night and talking to uh, uh, the, the associate pastor there. And I said to him, I'm not sure I'm saved. And I'm terrified that something's going to happen to me. And he said, well, talk to your dad about it when you get home. My dad was sick that night with the flu. And I said, but what if we get in a car accident on the way home and I die and go to hell? And he, he kind of laughed and he said, I, I don't think that will happen. Just talk to your dad when you get home.
1: And I got the reassurance
3: of my salvation at 12. Now, my parents didn't leave me in a phrase-by-phrase prayer. Looking back on it, I think I probably did get saved as a child. But there was that uncertainty because I did not have the wherewithal to pray the prayer on my own. Moms and dads, be careful about that. Let your children come to you and approach you about it. And converse with them and make sure that they grasp the concept of salvation on a level where they can pray On their own. What is the refuge to do? A home that is a refuge and not a battlefield. Well, it is a place of safety. It is a place of salvation. I hasten number three. It is a place of support. A place of support. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 33. In verse number 27. A place of support. The Bible says... I'll begin reading and catch up when you get there. The eternal God is thy refuge. That's a comforting thought. The eternal God is thy refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee and shall say, destroy them. Speaking of the enemy. Let me read that again. The eternal God is thy refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. Think of a baby being cradled by a A mother or a father. He shall thrust out the enemy from before thee and shall destroy them. What is this verse saying? That God as your refuge is your support. He's your support. Let me encourage you at home to support each other. Support each other. Defend each other. Fight first, ask questions later. When I say fight, I don't mean punch someone in the face. All right. Stand up for your family. Support each other. Sir, your wife has a big uh, work thing going on. She needs to know you're by her side supporting her through that. Help her put her presentation together if that's what she wants. Listen to her present it. Your children have a project going on. Sit down with them and support them through that. Don't say, oh, I didn't get any help from my dad. You're not getting any help from me. No, you sit down next to him and help them. Here's another thought. Support authority. How many of you here have ever been pulled over by the police with a child in the car? <laughs> it's been a long time since I've been pulled over. Not that I haven't deserved it. It's just been a long time. Um, what do you say about that police officer when he gives you that ticket and you pull away? That dirty police officer Your children are watching you How are you going to respond to authority But pastor I was going the same speed as traffic He had no right to give me that ticket Maybe not Your children's going to watch your children are going to watch how you respond to authority and they're they're going to decide how they want to respond to you That teacher at school Singles your child out for not paying attention and embarrasses them in front of the whole class. And you think, not my Johnny, my Johnny's perfect. You have that teacher for lunch. You take, you drag that child into the teacher's classroom and you rip that child, that teacher up in front of that child and you walk out and said, see, I love you. I supported you against that dirty good for nothing teacher. By tearing down authority, you have torn down your own authority. Now, that teacher may have been in the wrong for the way they handled your child. And you need to handle that with that teacher, but not in the presence of that child. You correct you correct the teacher if necessary. You ask questions of the teacher if necessary. Your child needs to learn that life isn't fair. And the child needs to learn how to deal with that. Support authority. Let me give you another one here. Support the church program. Support the church program. If I preach or teach on something you don't like, don't go home and have me for dinner. Don't go home and have your Sunday school teacher for dinner. My office door is open. You come talk to me. How many of you have learned that Pastor Lejeune is approachable? How many of you have learned that? If you haven't learned it, go talk to the people that raise their hand. If I say something you disagree with, I promise you I will do my best to handle you with grace. But don't talk about me behind my back. You say support the church program. When we have an activity, don't belittle and make fun of the activity. That stake stakeout. How many cows they have to kill to feed all those men. Royally redeemed. How cheesy is that? I don't feel that way. But a skeptic will belittle everything. Don't do that. And then you grow up and your child turns 19 and wants to have nothing to do with God. How many times do they hear you tear down the church program? By the way, by not showing up to the church program, you're also sending a message. On that note, Sunday is to be the Lord's day. It's not the Lord's hour or two. It's the Lord's day. If you're raising a family, one of the best things you can do is have them back in church on Sunday night. You say, but Pastor, my child's got to get 14 hours of sleep before school the next day. Your children will survive. We let out by 7.15 at the latest, 7.30. I can't remember the last time we went past 7.30 in a year. You can can leave right at the end of service and have them in bed by 8.15. your child's up for school the next day, they'll be fine. This is the Lord's day. What are you telling your family? Listen, we want your kids in junior church on Sunday morning. They're getting church their style. Sunday night, we want them on the pew next to you because we want them to watch you worship the Lord. And if they're not seeing you do that corporately, why are they going to grow up and do it? A place of support. Number four, a place of sight. A place of sight. Back over in 2 Samuel chapter 22. In verse number three. Where we began this morning. By the way, this would be a great verse to memorize with your family. The Bible says, The God of my rock, in him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation. Can we read those next three words out loud together? Ready? My high tower. My high tower and my refuge. My Savior, thou savest me from violence. What is the idea here of the home? It's a place of sight. A place of 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 vantage, A view that... Offers uh, an advantage of looking out and foreseeing down the road. What was a high tower inside of a refuge? Alright? Especially if you had an approaching enemy. Boy, well, someone would go up there with, a, with a, a, a lens. They could look out and they'd stand up there in that high tower and they'd look way down the way to see any danger that was coming. And that would give them the maximum amount of time to be able to prepare to defend themselves. And mom and dad, you are to stand in that high tower and look out down the road and foresee any dangers that could trip up your children, that could ruin the refuge that your home is supposed to be. And you're looking in that scope and you're adjusting and you're knowing that everything's going to be okay. How about this? How about we look out the scope at social media and the computer and technology And we know in advance what the dangers are for our children in our home. While I'm on this note, let me just say this morning that if you have teenagers in your home or you have older uh, preteens in your home and you've given them a smartphone, you make sure you know everything that is going on on that phone. One day when you stand before God, Dad, and God looks down at you and says, how come your child turned out so awful? And God says, it's because your child was living in a cesspool of sin on their phone. And you say, well, I didn't know. Well, that's you sitting in a hold water. You're supposed to know. You say, but what about my child's privacy? Your children have no privacy. Listen, your children should not be able to lock the door to their bedroom and keep you out. If your child tries that, switch the switch the lock on the door. and you, you ought to be able to walk in that room whenever you want. Now, Dad, if you've got a teenage girl, obviously be careful with that. But you ought to be able to go in that room and open any drawer and look under any mattress, under any bed at any time. You ought to know what's going on. How about social media? Listen, Mom and Dad, if you don't have a social media account on the same platform and you're not looking at what they're looking at, then you're not doing your job. While I'm on it, I'm going to single out a social media platform. And this isn't going to be popular, what I'm about to say. But look, I, I promise you I'm saying this with your best intention in mind. What is the purpose of Snapchat? Why do we need to be able to look at a picture that disappears, never to be seen again? Mom and dad, if your teenager has Snapchat, you need to delete the account. You say, oh, you're reaching into my business. Maybe a little bit, but I'm doing it because I love you. Why do we need to send a a picture that disappears in 10 seconds? Can I tell you why Snapchat was invented? It was invented for people to send naked pictures of themselves to each other. Now, I know it's grown into more than that, and I'm not accusing your teenager of doing that. But the opportunity's there. The opportunities there is your home a refuge or a sin secretly growing in the corners and the shadows of your home a refuge a refuge are you being that place of sight hey listen uh, ladies you need to feel like you have and men please hear what I'm about to say on this ladies wives you need to have the ability to kindly and gently tell your husband I don't like the way that you talk to that woman. I don't like the way she looks at you. And men, you need to respect that and listen to her. Men, you need to be able to say to your wife, um, uh, the outfit that you're wearing does not glorify the Lord in our relationship. Can you please change? You wives need to be able to accept that. Why? Because it is a place of sight. Proverbs 22.3 says, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple... Pass on and are punished. Number five, a place of security. A place of security. Let me read for you Psalm 62, 7. Actually, go ahead and turn over there. We'll finish the sermon in in, in Psalm 62. The last two points will come out of that that passage there. Psalm 62, verse number 7. The Bible says, In God is my salvation and my glory. Look here. The rock of my... Strength. My strength. And my refuge is in God. It's a place of security. You think of a security officer. What's he there to do? He's there to provide a mental strength, a mental edge in, say, a difficult situation. There was a park ranger at Yellowstone National Park who was leading a group of hikers to a fire lookout. The ranger was so intent on telling the hikers about the flowers and animals that he considered the message on his messages on his two-way radio distracting, so he switched it off. As the group neared the tower, the ranger was met by a nearly breathless lookout uh, who asked why he hadn't responded to the message on his radio. A grizzly bear had been seen stalking the group and the authorities were trying to warn them of the danger. Anytime we tune out the Holy Spirit or ignore the warnings of the Bible, we put ourselves and those around us in danger. Your home is to be a place of security. Let me talk to the husbands here for a minute. The husbands and the fathers. God has equipped you with a lot of logic. He's equipped your wife with a lot of emotional strength. The two of you bring logic and emotion to the table and they complete each other to be one full package. You are supposed to be the logical being in the home. Part of being that logical being is that you look and analyze the situation and you take a stand for what's right, whereas to protect your home. Whereas to protect your home. A place of security. You are to be the one that takes a stand against sin and you're to do it in a Christ-like and kind manner. You're the one that stands up and says, we're going to be faithful to the house of the Lord because at the house of the Lord is where the Bible is heralded and our children have the best chance of success in our marriage has the best chance of success. Uh, you are to be the one that says, we're going to have family altar. We're going to have a time where we read the Bible together or we watch a program of the Bible together and we discuss it afterwards. You are to be the one that leads. Now, to you ladies in here that are raising a child on your own, you may not uh, have that man to help you and to guide you, but let me encourage you to be the person who is providing the security for that young, uh, that, that young child in your home. And remember that there is a group bear named Satan who wants to rip you to shreds, you provide that security. Number six, and lastly, notice, a place of sincerity. Look at verse number eight, and we'll finish with this. It says there, Psalm 62, eight, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Look at that phrase. Pour out your heart before. Before him. You know what that means? That means be honest with God. Don't hide anything from God. Jeremiah reminds us that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all who can know it. If if Jeremiah is admitting, the man of God, Jeremiah is admitting that his heart is deceitful. There's a phrase that I, I, I cringe every time I hear it. Here's the phrase Well, he has a good heart. She's good-hearted. No, no, no. The heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked. No one can know it. You, you look at these people that commit atrocious crimes, and you realize that you're just a couple of life events away from being on the brink of doing the same thing. Why? Because your heart is deceitful. It's desperately wicked. You know how to overcome that. You know how to combat that is to have a heart that is open and sincere to the Lord. Let me just say this about how this works with your home being a place of refuge. Husbands, you must make yourselves accountable to your wives. For all the men listening to me here, if your wife wants to go through your phone, you need a letter. What what do you have to hide? Do you know that when your wife picks up your phone and you try to snatch it from her, or you get upset with her, you know what you're screaming to her? I'm guilty of something. Now, if you are, you need to confess it and get it right. Ladies, your husband ought to be able to go through your social media accounts whenever he wants. Look at every email you send. Now, if you work in a confidential classified situation, that might be a little different. But when it comes to your regular interactions, they need to be able to go through everything you see and do. You know why? Because you're having a place of sincerity. Angela and I can love and trust each other on such a deep level if she knows that here is my heart, the good and the bad. You know the best of me and you know the worst of me. You know my strengths, and you know my struggles. And while my struggles may disappoint you at times, at least I'm transparent with you. You know who I am. Some of you men in here may struggle with lust. You might have that hidden away on your phones. The best thing you can do is go home and tell your wife. You say, oh, it would so hurt her and damage our relationship. On the contrary. There might be short-term hurt, but there would be long-term healing. Your marriage would find such a deeper level of intimacy if she knew that you were willing to tell her. You want me to tell you how to hurt your marriage? Keep hiding it from her until she discovers it. It would be a long road back. Much, much longer road back. I've shared this before, but there's software out there you can put on a smartphone that will send a report to a loved one and show them everywhere you've been on your phone you want to be open and honest and sincere, you'll do that. How about this when it comes to the place of sincerity? How about that some of you men and women who are secretive and quiet, how about you open up your heart and you share your wife the burden you're carrying? Some of us want to carry that burden on our own. We don't want to tell our spouse. There's nothing wrong in certain situations with sitting down to your children and saying, Mom and Dad are struggling with this. Not a sin, just a burden, and we're going to pray together about it as a family. Do you think if your children saw God come through in prayer that maybe that would win their hearts over the Lord a little bit more? David said there, pour out your heart before Him. We're going to pour out our heart before the Lord, and we're going to pour out our heart to those that we love that live inside the walls of our home. Now, if you can live with these attributes of a refuge in your home, boy, when it comes time to punch out at work, you're going to run home and rest. Not grab more overtime and avoid the house. Let me ask you a question. We close. Be honest. Is your home a battlefield? Or is it a refuge? If it's a battlefield... Let's get it flipped. You say, Pastor, it's a battlefield about 40% of the time. It's a refuge to the other 60. Let's make it 90-10. Let's work, if it's 90-10, to get it to 99-1. Let's make our place, our home, a place our kids long to be, our spouses long to be. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Lord, I pray that if there's one here today that has not yet ran to the eternal city of refuge, the cross. That they would do that this morning. Salvation is only found in the cross, in faith in the cross. So Lord, if there's one here today that's not done that, would you help today to be the day they put their faith in you? May we not risk it. May we not allow death to overtake us and put us in the grave and then in hell because we did not run to that city of refuge. And Lord, for the families here today, I pray that we would not fight, bicker, scream, belittle. But Lord, our homes would be a place filled with goodness and kindness and temperance. Our homes would be a place of transparency and openness and honesty. Our homes would be a place of refuge. This morning with your heads bowed and eyes closed, how many here say, Pastor, there was a day and time in my life I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save me. Here's my hand in testimony of that. You've trusted Jesus. Would you just raise your hand? Thank you. There are some of you that didn't raise a hand. Let me just say to you that don't leave the building today without knowing that Jesus is your Savior. Don't do that. Don't risk the chance of dying this afternoon and going to hell. Satan wants nothing more than to take you to hell with him. But Jesus made it possible for you to go to heaven. And all you've got to do is lay aside pride and unbelief and embrace the cross of Jesus where he died. Understand that he rose again from the dead. His blood wants to cover your sins, wants to wash away your sins. God in heaven wants to give you a home in heaven, but you must believe that Jesus is your way there. Jesus said in John 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man, no man comes unto the Father but by me. You want to get to heaven, you've got to go through Jesus. How many here today say, Pastor Lejeune, there has never been a day in time in my life where I've trusted Jesus that I can remember, but I want, I want to go to heaven when I die. Pastor Lejeune would you please pray for me? If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? I won't call your name out. I see one hand. I see one hand. Pastor Mike, if you raise your hand, if you just look this way at me, Pastor Mike is standing right here. He'd like to take you through the Bible and show you how you can know that here in just a moment. So you can leave here today knowing that heaven's going to be your home. I'm here today say, Pastor, something in the message that was said today. There's a tweak that needs to go on at home, or several tweaks. So our home can be either a better refuge or can begin being a refuge for those that live inside our home. Pastor, that's me. Would you pray for me? Here's my hand. Here's my hand. Pastor, would you pray for me that God would allow our home to be a better refuge? Lord, I pray this morning that during this time of invitation, we would make solid, concrete decisions that make a difference in our lives and in our children's lives. We'll raise children that love you. In Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet, heads bowed, eyes closed. The altar's open. If you don't know that you're saved, would you come and talk to Pastor Mike and let him take you through the Bible? Show you how you can know that. If you are saved today and you've not yet been baptized, our baptismal waters are ready. We would love to help you to follow the Lord in that next step of obedience. You're saved and baptized, but you've not yet joined our church and you'd like more information about that. We'd like to help you with that as well. How about it this morning, Christian? Is your home a refuge? Lord, impress the message into our hearts, help us to dwell on it, think about it, and talk about it as we depart, make our homes a place where our children feel secure and loved, and Lord, where you are honored, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, you can look this way here. Let me uh, encourage you with something. Tonight, I need your help. How many of you here enjoy object illustrations in a sermon? Can I see your hand? I want you to be my object illustration. Now, I put Pastor Dave up to this as well. He's going to be making the same announcement in Junior Church. I need those of you who are sports fans on any level to wear your favorite sports uniform to church tonight. Whether you're in the choir, sitting on the platform, or just you sit on the pew. That might be a soccer uh, jersey from your favorite team. That, that might be a baseball jersey. That might be a football jersey, a basketball uniform. I ask that you dress modestly. No showing up like a swimmer, okay? You say, but I'm a Yale swim team fan, and I've got the outfit. Pick something else. (laughs) All right. How many of you think you can come back tonight and wear some sort of sports paraphernalia? How many of you think you can help me with that? I hope you can. And Look, even if you don't normally come on Sunday nights, come tonight. Now, one other thing. If you're not a sports fan, don't wear a uniform. I only want those that are fans to wear a uniform. If you wear a uniform and you're not a sports fan, you're going to mess up my illustrations. So that's meant for those who are at least semi-fond of a team, okay? Pick, the, pick a jersey of a team that you're fond of. And come back tonight you're ready to go, and we'll have a great time with that. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Ladies, don't forget to sign up for the ladies' event in the lobby. And hope line. pick up those things and be back uh, tonight uh, to support mothers in pregnancy crisis. God bless you. You dismissed. Love you.